You're listening to Car Seat Questions, a podcast for parents of curious kids. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eddie. And if you're anything like us, you either have a kid or you care for a kid with questions. Questions about all sorts of things. So for the next half hour, hop into the passenger seat, buckle your belt, and become childlike with us as the Lord takes us where he wants us to go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this episode of Car Seat Questions. Uh, Today we're going to talk about cross-racial adoption. You remember we talked about that in season one. We talked with a woman, Sarah Lane, who was adopted by a white family, and she is Latina. So we want to hear from the other side, too. We want to hear from a mom who is adopted outside of her race and hear her story as well. So today we're joined by Brittany Salmon. Hi, Brittany. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, can you share with us a little bit about you, your background, your family, and um, also your Moody Publishers book and kind of how you got to write that book. Sure. Well, um, like you said, my name is Brittany. I'm married to my husband, Ben. We've been married for almost 13 years this fall. And we have four kids, two of which I birthed. Um, They're twins. And so Felicity and Noel are 10. They'll be 11 here in about a month. Um, And then we've adopted two children. And we're actually in the process of adopting Mm. um, our fifth child, but for the third time. Um, And our son, Jude, he's seven. And for the context of this conversation, um, he's a black American. And then um, our fourth child is Zeke, and he is three, and he is um, Hispanic and Native American. That's a cool name, Zeke. (laughs) We're on our our name journey, so we'll take any. (laughs) We're kind of at a crossroads, so this Uh this episode is actually going to help us. (laughs) Pick a name. Can you tell us a little about your Moody Publisher book called It Takes More Than Love? What brought you to write that? And kind of just maybe your paragraph thesis about it. Sure. So um, if I'm going to be honest, this wasn't a book. A lot of times authors dream about books that they're going to write for years and years. This wasn't something I've done a lot of writing in the past. And I wrote for some outside organizations, some Christian organizations. And it was on adoption. It was a lot of times on um, talking through race with your children from a Christian perspective. And one of the editors I work with ended up going on as an acquisitions editor at Moody. And um, when she started working at Moody, she contacted me and said, Hey, I've, I've watched you live this out. I've read your writing. I've, I've seen this in your family. Would you consider writing this book? There's a really a hole in our market. There's a lot of adoption books out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of books on foster care. But there's not a lot of information on how to parent transracially or cross-culturally from a Christian perspective. Would you consider doing it? And so um, I thought about it and prayed about it. And um, after talking to my husband, Ben, we we've just kind of both put our guests on the table because let's be real. If one person writes a book in the family, it's a whole family experience, (laughs) especially on a topic like this when we're covering, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of those, those harder things that a family deals with. And so that's kind of how I jumped into it. But the book, it takes more than love. It's just a Christian guide to navigating those complexities that adoptive and foster parents face um, when you're, when you've adopted and fostered cross-culturally. Yeah. What was, um, what was your journey like writing, uh, writing this book? You know, it's it's one of those things where um, in our current social context, if I'm being honest, um, talking about race is not an easy thing right now. It's been politicized. It is very, very polarizing. And so trying to do it 
from a Christian perspective, um, biblically using the Bible um, as our primary source, but then also looking to other experts when it comes to adoption, transracial adoption, it was a difficult thing. This wasn't like a book on joy. In fact, I think mm-hmm. about 90% of the way through the book, I, I talked to my editor and my acquisitions editor, and I said, hey, if I ever write a book again, please let it be a fun topic. <laughs> let it be something easy. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about joy. Let's talk about spiritual disciplines. Um, but it was really difficult. It was a difficult journey to, and it was a hard thing to write. Um, but it was something that I was so grateful for the opportunity to do. And um, there's such a need for it. And hearing the feedback from adoptees, mm-hmm. from birth moms who read it, mm-hmm. um, from foster families and adoptive families, I am, just it's a complete honor and privilege to have been able to do that work and enter into that space with those families via this book. Were there any questions that your sons asked you that helped you in writing your book as being of different race than you and your husband? Well, it's what you know. It's it's interesting that you ask that because our kids are young still, and so the mm-hmm. questions that they ask ask are very elementary. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the content that really kind of outlined the chapters of our book, they came from listening to adult adoptees Mm -hmm. and interviewing them and talking with them as well as lived experiences. So yes, the questions our kids have, both our biological and adopted kids, the questions we get as a family, as we navigate the world, Mm -hmm. and then the questions and conversations that we're having with all members of the adoption triad, which is just simply the members of the, the adoption community, which are birth families, um, adoptees, and then the adopted or foster parents. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for, maybe let's just start with your family, in your nuclear family, what does it look like to celebrate your kids' cultures that are different than yours? Well, I think the first thing that we do is we, we take it back to the, to the Bible. It's a mm-hmm. biblical celebration. And so we know that God created all people um, in his image, and that is good. And we're told at the end of scripture, um, and we're told this from Genesis really to Revelation, but at you know, when Christ comes again, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will be worshiping him and standing on the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's really our guide. And so if God has ordained that, mm-hmm. then instead of shying away from different tribe, nations, tongues, we're going to embrace those cultural differences. And we're going to celebrate the God-given goodness and uniqueness that each culture has and expresses itself. And so um, we want to have a theological framework as our foundation for our why. But then practically for adoptive families, it can look as um, really simple as celebrating with the foods that we eat, the shows that we watch, the places that we go, um, where we put our kids in school and where we put them in um, sporting events and extracurriculars. It's one of those things where we can celebrate culture in a number of different ways, and that's going to be expressed differently in every family. But one of the, the questions that we get from other adoptive families is, where do you start? How do you do it? And it can be from the books, from the toys. You kind of start baseline, and then you kind of go outside of your home and say, all right, so maybe I can go to this cultural festival in our city or in a neighboring city. That's a little bit of a drive away if you live in a rural area. Or maybe it looks like reading books from authors and illustrators, from um, people who share the same culture as your child. And so there's a number of ways you can do it. But the most important thing I would say is to have that theological foundation of why. Um, Because in a society where this is such a hot topic, you have to have that base. Otherwise, you're going to get beat from both sides of the political narrative and torn and pulled in different directions. But if you have that firm foundation of, man, every, every person 
is made in the image of God. And in the end days, all of our cultures are going to be uniquely and beautifully represented, praising God together. Mm -hmm. So that is why we can celebrate that today in our home. Yeah. Have your daughters had any questions when you were maybe starting the adoption process or now as they're getting older and they're like, wait, my siblings don't look like me. Have they had any questions like that for you? Oh, yes. I mean, I think from the beginning when they were, so we brought Jude home when they were three and a half. And so we did a lot of proactive conversations with them and prepping them. We, you know, it wasn't a surprise when we brought home a black baby into our family because we said, hey, brother could look and have a number of different skin mm-hmm. tones. So we're, we don't know what, what color skin he's going to have, but they were prepared um, on even just a basic level for that. But that doesn't mean they didn't have questions. A lot of their questions come from being outside our home. So when they're at school, mm-hmm. they will come home and say, hey, um, one of my friends asked if Jude was my real brother or if Zeke was my mm-hmm. real brother. Yeah. And I told them that he was adopted and that, yes, he was my real brother. Well, what should I say? Or what should mm-hmm. have I said? And so they'll ask those sort of questions like, um, hey, so-and-so said this about our family. How do I respond? And we have to walk through that of saying, hey, your brother's adoption story is his. He gets to share that. Mm-hmm. It's not ours to share. You can simply say, yeah, he's my real brother. Uh, families don't have to match and families are made up through a variety of different ways. Yeah. And so we've trained them um, slowly as questions have come, but that's the thing that they've had to navigate the most. Yeah. Has there, so has there been any uh, questions um, about um, like the biological parents or like biological mothers? Um, and generally if like if a parent has an opportunity uh, to stay in contact, right, with biological parents, um, how would you, uh, or what would you be your word for those for those parents? Well, I would say I'm going to answer the last question first, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. My answer would be: I really think believe strongly that it is our goal as parents um, not to sever any mm-hmm. sort of relationship with a child's first family. Um, when safety is not in question, when abuse is not in question, because again, in foster care and adoption spaces, we do, there are some of those situations. So I, I want to put that disclaimer. Um, but I would say in many of the cases, um, keeping the lines of communication open and a bridge open, not forcing it on our kids, but allowing it to be open, us not being the, the gatekeeper here to say, hey, if I have a chance to have a relationship with my kid's first family, I'm going to keep that open so that when my child is a teenager or adult, they get to choose what type of a relationship they have with them. Um, that is our goal. Now, it's my prayer um, as a believer that if I believe that our God is a God of redemption and restoration, and I believe that um, God loves my child more than I do, um, then I believe hope and goodness and restoration and redemption, not just over my kid, but also for their first families. And so we pray and we move towards that end as a family. That's how that's how we function as a family. We have what they call open adoptions with our kids' families. And so, and both of those look very differently because they're different families. But my goal and my heart behind every interaction I have with their first family is to honor, to point them to Jesus, to encourage them, um, to love them in the ways that we can, um, and to keep that door of communication open so that when our kids are old enough, they can navigate that. And it's not strained. It's not, um, the bridge isn't broken, Mm -hmm. that it's still there ready for them, um, whenever they're ready. I imagine that being, I mean, even we don't have adoptive children, but we are a biracial couple. And so, 
we have a son who's mixed. And so we even have some similarities in the fact of like, we want to make sure that we're celebrating both cultures for our child. And we want to make sure that we're talking about both cultures with him and with our future child. And there's also going to be hard days of like talking about the hard things of like, Hey, maybe like you'll get, like you'll get confused about like, what is my identity and who am I? And we want to be able to like talk through those things. But I imagine there's really hard days in all of that and navigating that. How would you encourage families who have adopted children of other races on the really hard days? And what's maybe been an encouragement to you and your husband on the really hard days? Well, I love that you acknowledge that there's really hard days because I think some, so often adoption, you know, when we talk about it, it's with rainbows and butterflies and what a beautiful story. Yeah. Um, but the reality is there's a lot of darkness and heartache in the fact that adoption begins with trauma, a break yeah. in a family yeah. relationship. Um, the rest of this path will be, have difficult days. Um, and the thing that we, I would like to encourage other families is you're going to have them. And I would say the question is not, what do you do on hard days? It's what do you do on the good days leading up to them to prepare you for those hard days? And so I think a lot of identity work is done not in the crisis moments, but in the preparation for them. So, um, you know, we teach our, teach our kids catechisms. Who made you? God did. You know, we're, we're going through these catechisms with our kids when they're younger. But for an adoptive family when they're little, I'm also saying to my son, Jude, hey, Jude, who made you? God did. Hey, Jude, why did God make you in all things for his glory? Hey, Jude, you are a what? I am a strong black man who loves Jesus and I can do anything I put my mind to. And we are putting that in there now on the good days at night before bed and on the mornings when we wake up. We are ingraining that now. So later when we have a hard day and when someone says something about our child's family structure, whenever someone says, hey, why do you have a white mom? Mm -hmm. She's not your real mom. Or, hey, why did your mom give you up? It is mm -hmm. not, we are not, we're not drawing on an empty bank. We've made those deposits of you are loved, mm -hmm. you are worthy, you are valued, your life has purpose. And we've done that leading up to that. So when we're saying it then, it's not such a shock or the first time they're hearing, hey, let me tell you something. You are a strong black boy who loves Jesus and you can do anything you put your mind to. Mm -hmm. And what the outside world says doesn't matter. What matters is what scripture says about you. And what does scripture say about you? And they know that already because we have implanted that in them from the get-go. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean if, if there's a family out there listening saying, well, I haven't done that yet. That's okay. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. But mm -hmm. today's a good day to start that. If you have older kids, I think there's a different way you can do that. You don't have to do necessarily affirmations. It can be conversations starting to say, hey, you know, we've not talked about this in a while, but I just want you to know you're going to have hard days because our family looks differently and mm -hmm. these are some truths that I see about you and that I believe about you, that God has spoken over your life, um, that he has a plan for you, um, mm -hmm. and that it's okay to be sad about being adopted. It's okay to be angry sometimes. You, you go ahead and have those conversations now to set mm -hmm. you up for success on the difficult days to come. Yeah. Have you and your husband been able to find a community or maybe just one or two people of color that have been able to help you and how to talk to your sons who look different than Lee than you, because they have that experience, so like maybe a black woman or a black man or Hispanic woman or Hispanic man that have been able to walk with you as a white woman. Like, how do I help this child that doesn't look like me? And they are going to have different experiences than me because they look differently than me. Yeah. One of the things that 
um, we say in adoption circles and communities, specifically when we're talking with uh, transracial adoptive families, is you can't be a multicultural family and live a monocultural life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sounds pretty harsh sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but the truth is you don't have to jump right in. You can grow with that. You can grow with, with your kid. Um, but if you're going to be an adoptive family and if you're going to be a transracial adoptive family, it is incredibly important um, if you're going to be multicultural to live a multicultural life, which means you need to have people in your home at your dinner table. Um, you need to live life in spaces, go to the churches that you attend, the schools that you attend, um, the extracurriculars that you attend. Um, you need to live life in multicultural spaces so that you can make natural friendships with mm. people. We're not going to tokenize people. We don't want to yeah. use people. It's we're going to simply do life in spaces and make friends along the way. Um, and I believe that God will honor that and be faithful to that and build some friendships. And I can say we, we have moved states twice um, two times. We've, we've moved multiple times now, so I'm trying to think of just states and cities twice. Um, so we've lived in three different cities total um, since we've adopted Jude. And we, some of them, one was in West Texas, and which, which you know is not the most diverse place <laughs> on earth. Um, one, we moved from Raleigh, Durham, which is a pretty diverse city and area, um, to a little bit more monocultural area. And now we're in a city that's um, kind of somewhere in between. And we have found diverse community in all three spaces. And the way we do that is we get to choose where we spend our time. We get to choose where we spend our money. We get to choose um, the extracurriculars we go to. And um, as an adoptive parent, I think we have to take seriously our kids' racial identity needs, knowing that that is a gap that we will have to fill. Um, that is a that is a gap that we have to fill as a family. It's a unique need as our family that we have to face on and we can't ignore it. Um, it I, for families who kind of, feel a pushback on that. I say, if your child um, had a specific medical need and you had to fill that gap, what would you do? You'd make sure that you adjust your life in a certain way so that you guys could meet that need. Um, This isn't medical. It's not the same thing. It's not an apples to apples approach, but research has shown talking to adult adoptees in the research of the book, ignoring the racial needs and racial identity needs of a child can be extremely hardful. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason why adoptees and foster kids, their suicide rates are higher. Um, they're for a foster child to finish college. The statistics are, you know, I, I saw a friend the other day. She was in the foster care um, system and she was adopted transracially out as a teenager. And she just graduated college. And she's like, I beat the odds. Mm-hmm. I beat the odds. So we have to recognize the odds. We have to recognize the statistics and we have to face them head on. Um, and we can do that by listening to adoptees and saying, all right, this is what the previous generation did. It didn't work. Let's make some adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as believers, um, has there been any Bible stories that maybe you as your family kind of cling on to, or maybe some stories, um, that your sons maybe feel like they're seen in the Bible? I think so. Obviously Moses was adopted. That's a popular one that people talk right. about with their kids. Um, but I think one of the things that we have talked about is the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph in scripture because um, this is not an adoption story. And so it's not necessarily apples to apples then again, but um, Joseph went through a lot of suffering. He went through a lot of suffering, but if you're looking in scripture at the story of Joseph, um, it'll also, it'll say regularly, um, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was thrown 
and by his brothers, you know, left to die. And the Lord was with Joseph. He was in, you know, Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph. Mm-hmm. He was tossed in jail. The Lord was with Joseph. And you hear this and you see it and you're kind of like, okay, great. And at the end of the story is when J- Joseph says, is able to, you know, forgive his brothers. He's, you know, come out on top. He says, hey, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Hey, what you meant for evil, God used it for good. But we don't see Joseph saying that when he's in jail. Mm -hmm. We don't see him saying that whenever he's tossed in the, you know, tossed away from his brothers. And so what we have taken that as saying, hey, there is a time where we know that this story of adoption, we believe that God will use any trauma and any heartache, and he will take it. This is part of his goodness. He will redeem it and use it for his, for our kids' good and for the glory of God. We believe that full-heartedly, full stop. At the same time, we are going to be with our kids during these low moments when they're tossed mm-hmm. in the hole. We're going to offer our presence as parents, and we're not going to push the narrative, hey, what God, what Satan uses for evil, God's going to turn this for good. We don't use this to, 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 to spiritual bypass the pain, to ignore the pain that they're in, to ignore the trauma. Um, we claim to believe that, and we absolutely believe that, and we're going to hold fast to that truth. But we're going to offer our presence to our kids during those hard moments. Um, and we, I regularly will use that story with our kids to say, hey, you might see down the line, and you might believe, you might not believe it now, but down the line, you might believe, hey, what the world has meant for evil, God turned it to good. And I pray that you believe that. If you don't believe that right now, that's okay. I'm with you. And God is with you, more importantly. He is with you in this heartache. He is with you in this low moment. Um, and it's okay for you to be angry or sad or heartbroken at racism, Mm -hmm. at neglect, at the abuse you've experienced, those things are okay to be upset about. We're going to work through those with a therapist, a biblical Mm -hmm. counselor, um, but it's okay for you to be in this hole right now. God is with you. We're with you, and we're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm. Are there any things that um, your sons are still young, but that that they've taught you just as uh, people of color? Is there anything that they've taught you as a white mom? That you're like, oh, I'm learning a lot from this little person just just because they're of a different race than me. Yeah, I think kids are so amazing. <laughs> and whether they're – and we can learn from – I've learned from all my kids, my biological kids, my adopted mm-hmm. kids. Um, the thing that I have learned the most from, um, for one of our sons, is being quick to forgive. Mm-hmm. He is so quick to forgive when it comes to um, certain, I guess, racial faux pas. He's very mm-hmm. quick to forgive. A lot quicker than I am. I mean, the mama bear me yeah. wants to be like, hey, no, absolutely. Yeah. What what happened? <laughs> um, but I'm learning from him mm-hmm. as I'm learning from others as well, going, hey, mm-hmm. our friends and our community that we built up to say, hey, is this okay? What should have I done here? What should he do here? And to see a quickness to forgive and a quickness to expect the best in others, mm-hmm. um, man, I've learned that from one of my sons, and it, it's, a, it's been a true gift to watch. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. I'm still thinking about we're about to make a, a move ourselves from Chicago to Cleveland. And so it's been on our minds, obviously, like, oh, we need to find a good school system. And where are we going to live? And, like, we have to pick the right place so that our sons can, like, have a good school, whatever. But now you're saying, like, you need to find a diverse area. And maybe that's more important than finding the best school system in the area. Maybe it's more important that our sons are in a school where there's people that look like them. 
I think best school system is um, an interesting topic right now, and it, it's a hard one to have. But mm-hmm. what what is best? And yeah. um, every city is different. Every mm-hmm. state is different um, when it comes to school systems. And I think it's a very personal choice. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to come in here with a strong black or white statement yeah. on you have to do X, Y, Z. But I can tell you that our, for our family, we live in an area where um, after investigating the diversity in our school systems, realizing it's pretty segregated, even though the town is mm-hmm. not, but the way redlining happened that mm-hmm. the successful best schools are 95% white. Yeah, they are. And the, you go down the, the line, the worst schools are 95% black and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we decided was, are there schools in the middle <laughs> mm-hmm. that are, there's a sweet spot of schools that is a title, the, the title one schools where their diversity exists in staff and in population. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be an A-plus school, but what you see is a population of teachers and an accurate population of students um, mm-hmm. so, that, that are diverse socioeconomically um, and in race as well. And it's a really, there's a sweet spot amongst those schools. So we found that in every area that we're in, when we can, we can find a, a good school that's a t- considered a Title I school that a lot of people might say, I don't want my kids in Title I school. Um, but they're fantastic. They've got great supports. Um, they just might not be A-plus school because they have a certain percentage of students that are on free and reduced lunches. Scores scores on ranking, schools and ranking, if you look into it, it's a very fascinating thing. And so I would just, oh. you know, yeah. recommend to anyone listening out there, don't be afraid to ask more questions other than just like, is this a school in A or is it a, a C? What mm-hmm. What's the difference here? And, and truly see, like, is there growth? What is what does the population look like? What are who what what students are in um, recognized as gifted and talented? What kids are not? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of questions that you can go through to really analyze the data on a public school systems, but they're all different. Um, and it, again, personal choice for it for anyone out there. Yeah. I highly respect it, and every family has different, unique needs, especially in today's society. Mm-hmm. It is a hot topic, but for the adoptive family, it's something you have to consider. Um, if you're not getting diversity in your church mm-hmm. or in your extracurriculars, schools are a great place to start. Yeah, because part of your education, you're going to be enriched by seeing people who look like you. And so that's like a huge part of how you're going to be educated is that there's other people that look like you and have same experiences as you. And if you're the only one who looks different, it may, you know, it could affect your how you feel about your education or how you're. You know, it could be a perfect school, but because you looked different than everyone else, it was a bad experience. Well, what we're learning from listening to adult adoptees is a lot of these transracial adoptees, they went to predominantly white schools, whether mm-hmm. they're private or public. And that was something that hearing from them was really hard and difficult. Mm-hmm. And they experienced um, a significant amount of racism um, that they didn't understand was racism until they were older. Yeah. Because they weren't equipped by families to say, hey, this is what this was or and so they just kind of learn to live with these both macro and microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the one one thing, again, racial mirrors are super important. Mm-hmm. Yes, in your schools, in your homes. Um, but putting, for adoptive families, putting our kids somewhere where they can thrive and they can see people who look like them, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, so I, I went to the same private school for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, a, it was a small private Christian school. And it was predominantly like Hispanics. So uh, after high school, I had gone to a community college here in the city. And again, the, the city is, 
I think Hispanics are probably like the number one or two, at least majority in 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 the Chicago city mm-hmm. proper. But when I came to Moody, uh, and again, I, <laughs> I I love Moody. There's nothing nothing against Moody, but it was yeah. predominantly <laughs> white, and and it was just a bit of a culture shock for mm-hmm. me, right? Because of my my context and my perspective of education was through again through the lens of just a lot more like people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, a journey that I had to go on and just try to navigate and understand like, you know, this is a lot different than what I'm used to and how, and how can I, um, use this time, right. To, to grow or to go closer to Lord or just like understand, right. Mm-hmm. Like God's creation, like through different, different types of race. Yeah. Uh, what's something that you would want your sons or other kids and other families who've been adopted transracially to know what's like the one thing you'd want them to take away from their upbringing in a different cultured family. I think for my sons, when I, when I think about what I want that, what I hope that they grow up knowing is that regardless of what they choose in life, whether they grow up going, you know, I really wish I was never adopted. Hmm. I really wish this had never happened to me or Whatever, whatever, if they're like, oh, you know, I wish my, my birth mother had chosen me. I want them to know that they, they never have to compete. Their, their first family is never have to compete with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm never going to be offended by that sentiment. That it has been a joy and an honor to be their mother. And, and I believe that the Lord can redeem anything, any heartache, any trauma, and he can use it for their good. And, and I think about that and I pray that over my kids at night on a regular basis say, you know, I'm praying, Lord, I pray. I, 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 and part of that is because I've interviewed so many adult adoptees mm. who are wrestling with so many hard things when it comes to their adoption that my expectation is for, is not for them to not wrestle. It's that when they do, they know we're a safe place to wrestle. They can, they can, if they want if they're going to, you know, reunite and reconnect with their first family in a deep and um, intimate level that is maybe more than what they had ever expected, I, that they need to know that I support them 110%. And for, I think, other um, adoptees who are listening out there or who might listen to this conversation, I would hope the same for them. I would hope and pray that they have families who love God and who love them enough to know that they can withstand um, some of these hard conversations that they have the emotional uh, maturity as parents to be able to say, mm-hmm. Hey, I'd rather you come to me and let's talk about it and work it out um, than to live with this big secret or this dark, heavy thing by yourself. And I think it, it's like two things can be true at once. You can be so grateful for the family that chose you and chose to raise you. And you can still want your birth mom to have wanted you. Those things can be true at once. It's not one or the other. And I think that's important for kids to know too is like yeah you could you could want your birth mom to have wanted you and also still love your adoptive mom and be so grateful for all that she's done for you and all that she's given you and her choice to choose you you know Yeah I love that both and nature as well and I think adoption is a a it was that was really the entrance of really embracing two conflicting mm-hmm. emotions with mm-hmm. adoption was for me I remember being in the in the hospital room holding my son Jude just overjoyed like mm-hmm. thrilled to meet him so excited and at the same time just so wrecked and grieved yeah. because then there was a woman down the hall who was leaving a hospital mm-hmm. with empty arms and so um mm-hmm. making room for both joy and sorrow 
-hmm. grief, suffering, happiness, gratitude, all of those things can be one. Um, And I think adoptive families that really enter this road um, and who are doing it right now with with young kids, practicing that now with your little kids, Mm -hmm. giving them the ability to say, hey, on Mother's Day, I'm like, hey, are you thinking about your first mom? It's okay if you are. Mm. It it doesn't it doesn't wound me at all if you if you're wanting to celebrate her today instead of me or her today with me. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever you choose, I just want you to know that as your mom, I'm here for it. And kind of teaching those things at an early age to hold space for both. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard. Um, yeah. It's not easy. We make mistakes. I mess up <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, but it's a real gift. It's a real yeah. it's a real gift. Yeah, I, I I think this was great because we kind of like how Lauren mentioned, we got to talk to, right, someone who, uh, she's Hispanic and was adopted into a white family. Now we get to kind of hear mm-hmm. the parents' side of all this, and um, there's just like a lot of redemption. I think that like we've just kind of seen like through these t- two stories, and um, you know, Sarah, when we talked with her, she like never, um, she like never talked bad about her mm-hmm. her birth mom and she kind of gave us the backstory about that. And she was just basically like, well, I think like my mom gave me up, you know, because of like safety, right. In, in her context. And at that time, and, um, and this is the work that she's been able to do throughout her life. Right. And being able to, to celebrate, uh, that aspect of her life. And then again, g- being able to, to listen to you and hear about like what your desire is right for, for your family. Right. And, and how Christ fits into that. And just like how, Again, Christ can, Christ is like the ultimate right redeemer, and He can heal and He can mend, uh, you know, to His will. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, just very encouraged by our conversation today. Yeah, no, well, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, Sarah, uh, adult adoptees really are paving the way right now. I think for this mm-hmm. new generation of adoptees as well. And so, um, believers in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, man, they are such a gift to the upcoming generation of kids that we're currently raising. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm sure that was such an encouraging conversation. Yeah, it was. Well, thank you, Brittany, so much for your time and for being open about your story and sharing it with us about your sons and their story. Um, is there anywhere that people can find you, social media, where can people connect with you or find more about you? They can go to my website. It's www.brittanyinsalmon.com or if you can find me on Instagram at brittanyinsalmon.com although I have to say I'm really trying to step away from social media this summer (laughs) so you can find me there um, but it's hit or miss (laughs) during the summer that's right I think a lot of people are trying to take breaks social media and everyone can find your book It Takes More Than Love at moodypublishers.com which we would recommend all adopted families and hopeful adopted families to take a look at that or if you have adopted children just in your life or in your extended family to read that and take part in that. Yeah. So Brittany, thanks again uh, for our conversation today. We will uh, link the website in Mm -hmm. the show notes and with all of our episodes, we'd like to end with a benediction. So if you would please join us as we send people off to him who is able to do far more than we can understand May he give us the wisdom to raise our children to first love God above all else and love others as themselves. Go in peace. Thanks again, Brittany, and thank you to our listeners. Episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that 
The episodes will just drop right into your feed. There's nothing else you have to do. And also, if you like the podcast, please leave a, a review and a rating. We'd be so appreciative of that. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye.